This is Deep Dive. I'm Sui. Indonesia's first high-speed railway, or what the Indonesian people call the HSR, saw a trial run on Wednesday. And this is uh, supposed to be a 20-kilometer trial run. Chinese President Xi Jinping joined his Indonesian counterpart Joko Widodo to witness the trial virtually in Bali. The railway, using Chinese technology and equipment, links the capital Jakarta and Bandung, said to be able to cut travel time between the two cities from three hours to 40 minutes. The HSR is not only the first in Indonesia, but also the first of its kind across Southeast Asia. For more, I spoke with CGTN's Southeast Asia correspondent, Dusita Saukeo. Hi, Suyi. How are you? I'm good.、Thanks. This episode is brought to you on November 16th. So,、uh, could you tell us about how、uh, Indonesians these days commute now? Like, how would an office worker get work day by day? Well, many Indonesians who work in Jakarta would live on the outskirts of the city,、uh, which are also known as satellite cities or commuter cities. I mean, it's quite self-explanatory why they're called commuter cities because usually they pop up near freeways and highways, and it's largely residential. So,、um, Bekasi is around 30 kilometers away from central Jakarta and is perhaps home to the largest source of commuters. Uh, coming to Jakarta every single day, and every morning、um, that trip from Bekasi to Jakarta is hectic. It's chaotic and it's extremely exhausting. So we met up with a man called Paras, you know, whose daily commute to work takes up around five hours each every single day. Usually, when I come home from work after being stuck in traffic jams, my family are already asleep, so I just go to bed right away. There's no family time, and this is considered quite normal. It's something that people in Jakarta are used to because it's been this way for so long. A few years ago, Jakarta was actually ranked as one of the most traffic congested cities in the world.、Um, their ranking has improved in recent years, but the traffic and this congestion is still a major problem. Why is the traffic this bad in the capital, Jakarta? I would put it down to rapid urbanization. You know, Jakarta is the capital city of Indonesia. It is home to 11 million people. And if you look at Indonesia, it is a country that has experienced very rapid modernization, very high economic growth over the past decade. You know, it's currently ranked the 16th largest economy in the world, and it's poised to be ranked the global economic top 10 by the year 2030. And that is pretty. Impressive, and that is why these Southeast Asian countries are known as tiger economies because they're very fast growing. But you know, with this growth comes urbanization. A lot of people from the provinces or the rural areas will move or migrate to these bigger urban cities. In order to get a piece of that economic pie, so naturally they will move to where there's more opportunities for them in terms of employment, in terms of work. So basically, as the city expands, and it's really striking to witness this pace of growth over the past ten years. I was in Jakarta ten years ago, but the Jakarta I went to two or three months ago is completely different to what I saw, you know, a decade before. It's skyscrapers everywhere. There's construction. Everywhere, and it, you know the pace of modernization is extremely impressive. But with this growth and with this modernization, there are considerable challenges. 
the rapid urbanization and the high population density have also put more pressure on these existing infrastructures, you know, the roads, the transportation networks. So it's these problems, whether it's housing or transportation, uh, they haven't really kept up with the high rates of urbanization. So it seems to be a sheer problem for uh, Asian cities with a huge population. Uh, what does the government have in mind to improve traffic in the capital? I think there's been significant progress in Indonesia's public transportation system in the past few years. Uh, but as I said before, it hasn't really caught up to this rapid urbanization. You know, right now, uh, there's the MRT, the LRT, and these are quite efficient and effective, but there needs to be a more integrated uh, network. There needs to be, you know, a more cohesive network that has a more connected pattern. And as we saw when we met up with Paras, he had to get a motorcycle from his house to the train station. Once he got to the train station, he would have to get two trains. You know, after the two trains, he would have to walk for another 20 minutes and then wait for a local minibus. So that whole trip just to work takes two and a half hours for him. Perhaps why there needs to be a more integrated system. You know, you can have the best trains or buses or trams in the world, but if it doesn't serve the end use of these commuters, it's going to end up causing problems. So the plan for this uh, China-Indonesia high-speed railway. Indonesia, one of the biggest investment projects in the country, is a high-speed railway between the capital Jakarta and Bandan in West Java. Now the project is the 142 kilometers long railway project is the first of its kind in Indonesia and high speed Indonesia's first high-speed railway project, which is being built by China, has finally started. Is that the network will connect with the existing transportation networks that we see in Jakarta today? Hmm. So talking about this high-speed project, why do they start with this route between the capital city and Bandung? Uh, you got it correct. It is uh, just the starting point. It is phase one. So Bandung is uh, Indonesia's third largest city by population. So a lot of people from Jakarta will take weekend trips up to Bandung. So the traffic along this 150 kilometer line on the weekends is excruciating. You know, our driver was actually telling us that it took him nine hours one weekend to get from Bandung back to Jakarta. That's nine hours for a 150-kilometer trip. So basically, this railway serves to improve the mobility of not only people, but also goods as well. And hopefully, that the mobility with the vehicle can shift to the uh, mass transportation. It means that the existence of this high-speed train will be able to facilitate the mobility and connectivity itself, but also to become a competitive advantage for our country. Because uh, Bandung is a textile capital. There's a lot of uh, factories. There's a lot of industries in Bandung as well. So uh, Jakarta and Bandung is just the start. You know, the project is part of the planned 750-kilometer high-speed train line that would cross four provinces on this uh, major island of Java and end in the country's second-largest city of Surabaya. But those plans are also going to take time. It's a joint project between China and Indonesia. In specific, who are behind the project, like companies or even the private sector? Um, yes, it's basically a Chinese-Indonesian uh, consortium. So it's a collaboration of Chinese and Indonesian companies. The control 
of which is split around 60-40 between Indonesian and Chinese-owned enterprises. If we talk about, you know, in terms of the construction materials, a lot of the heavy machinery was brought in from China, but more of the raw materials like the nuts and bolts, the sand, the gravel, the rocks, all these raw materials were locally sourced. So they were sourced in Indonesia. If we talk about the employment, this railway plans to employ more than 30,000 locals, you know, 80% of which are local Indonesian people. So what you see is that uh, a lot of the construction is being done by local Indonesians. The engineers are mostly Chinese. Hmm. What would you say are the main hurdles as the uh, construction project proceeds? This plan of the high-speed railway has been, uh, you know, in the pipeline since 2015. So it is now 2022. They've almost completed it. The plan is to complete this railway by 2023, mid 2023. As you would expect, there's been a lot of delays, you know, many delays. Aside from that, there's also environmental challenges as well. Indonesia is a flood-prone country, so floods and landslides are quite common. So these have also delayed um, the construction of this railway. Another hindrance is that the construction was also quite complex. The terrain in Java varies a lot. You know, it goes through dense jungles, agricultural areas, um, mountains. So it was a very complex process for engineers in particular to construct this highway as well. Another complex issue was land acquisitions. So that also led to many delays. So once completion helped me paint a picture here, how would people like a Parisian go to work day by day using this high-speed railway? Um, I think it's a bit too soon to say, but I think it would largely depend on the cost of travel. Um, you see, the, the high-speed railway they haven't really worked out the fares uh, because the railway won't be operational until mid-2023. So if they do make it affordable and it is well integrated with the existing transportation network, it will help a lot of office workers like Parisian quite a lot because if you reduce a person's commute time from five hours to perhaps even one hour, the quality of life would also improve. They will have more time to spend with their family because at the moment, this five-hour chunk out of their day, they get home and they don't have any family time whatsoever. They can't spend time with their kids. They can't spend time with their wife when they get home. A lot of um, their family is already asleep. So the quality of life of a lot of people would also improve and also productivity. That five hours that you spend commuting can be spent on something a little bit more productive, right? So basically, one of the stops of this high-speed train is just outside Bekasi. And this is the city that we've been talking about, which is the largest source of commuters from outside Jakarta. So it could be convenient and fast for people who live in Bekasi. But again, it, it, it all depends on the fares and if people in Bekasi are able to afford riding on this high-speed train. Hmm. And as the constructor said, the project will transfer technology and knowledge. 在亚湾高铁的建设过程中, 
During the construction of the high-speed railway, we have trained many locals to be engineers and technicians. They have gained knowledge about high-speed railway construction, as well as new skills. Over 10,000 locals participate in building the boat. We know China has experienced this too, particularly from Germany and Japan. So how would Indonesia further utilize the technology they learned from this high-speed railway? That's a great question because, you know, considering this is the first high-speed railway in Indonesia, everything is new to them. The engineering, the way of construction, the materials required, the technology, the innovation, the skill set, building of tunnels, the bridges, all these skills have had to be taught, even down to the culture of the workplace. You know, many of the local workers learned Chinese, learned to speak Chinese, and vice versa. Many of the Chinese employees have also learned to speak Bahasa. So it also pretty much is a sort of cultural exchange in a way. Many of the skills that the locals gained don't stop when this project is complete. It can be utilized throughout their whole career and also open many opportunities for them in the future. So talking about economic future, uh, we know the Indonesian government has been talking about a competitive advantage uh, of the country. Uh, What does the government mean by talking about this? Well, the development of infrastructure is important for the growth of any economy. It is important for economies and countries to remain competitive, especially, you know, during a time like this. High-speed rail, other than being comfortable, safe, convenient, environmentally sustainable uh, mode of transport, it also brings a country massive potential. You know, as I mentioned before, it is creating tens of thousands of jobs. This project alone is creating 30,000 jobs for local workers. Building and constructing a project of this scale is going to generate a lot of jobs and a lot of skills and a lot of knowledge. I like working here. The pay is more and I've met new friends. I've also gained new experiences and new knowledge. All of these help me a lot. I'm so proud. When this project is finished, it's going to make us move around faster from Bandung to Jakarta since it only takes 30 minutes and we can avoid any traffic. I'm proud to be part of the HSR project. With the new line, our transport is going to be faster and improve the economy in our country. It also increases economic activity. You know, we'll see an increase in exports. We'll see improved logistics, the movement of goods and services. Um, But essentially, going back to my main point of traffic congestion, it could reduce the traffic congestion in Jakarta and also boost productivity. So in the case of Parasian, the time he spends commuting every day can be time spent on other things or, you know, maybe a second job or something like that. So that would also improve the quality of life for many Indonesians as well. Based on the experience here in China, not just big cities linked by these high-speed rail lines, but also people along the routes also are benefiting from the new lines emerging. I'm curious, uh, the situation in Indonesia, uh, are people living along the road? I mean, maybe in rural areas, seeing changes in their life too? 
It's a little too early to say. Along that 150-kilometer route, uh, there's a lot of agricultural farms. There's a lot of tea plantations. But what we can see and what we heard from a lot of people constructing this railway was that there were massive plans for residential and commercial zones around the four stations. So within these zones, they hope there'll be universities and hospitals and shopping malls. So basically mini cities that will pop up where these stations are because of the convenience. And that is what usually happens with these huge infrastructure projects, whether it's railways or highways, it generates a lot of economic activity. It also generates a boom in real estate. But at the moment, as I mentioned before, this this route is mainly agricultural. You have very beautiful tea plantations and rice fields. But I think if I go back in the next few years, a lot of this will change. A lot of development will also need to go through these environmental assessments to make sure that it doesn't obstruct the natural environmental ecosystem. Hmm. And one last question. There's also something interesting uh, with the city of Bandung. Like the one thing I can remember is there was a very important uh, international meeting held in Bandung uh, back in the 1950s. So tell us more about a bit the, of the history of the city and why it matters to developing countries in Asia and Africa. Bandung is a huge city. I was quite surprised. I wasn't expecting it to be that big. It's such a lively city. It's very eclectic, artistic, very cultural, very historic. Everywhere you walk, you know, um, there's music everywhere. There's monuments. It's one of those cities that still retains its its culture. It hasn't been extremely modernized like Jakarta, um, but it's also a place where some of the most poignant moments in history have occurred. And these monuments and statues and museums that we see across the city immortalize these significant moments that have happened in Bandung. Because as you mentioned, around seven decades ago, um, in 1955, and this was during the height of the Cold War, 29 Asian and African countries assembled in Bandung to discuss these issues of common concern at the time, which was independence, sovereignty, territorial integration. So this is basically what is known as the Asia-African Conference. But because it was held in Bandung, it also became known as the Bandung Conference. But what transpired was this ideology of the Bandung spirit, which still has a lot of relevance to this day, because in this era of globalization, Asian and African countries face unbalanced development, and some of them are even at risk of being marginalized due to economic inequality, developing and developed countries are essentially faced with unequal political status and treatment in international affairs. So through this Asian-African conference that is held every year, these countries work together to keep this so-called Bandung spirit alive by promoting peace, by promoting stability, and by seeking common ground. So it's not just a political or institutional platform. It's an ideal. It's a vision. And it was and still is a significant cultural and spiritual moment that still has relevance to this day. Yes, very interesting. I thank you very much, Dusita, for joining us today. Thank you so much. Wednesday is also the last day for the G20 summit in Bali. The two-day event saw world leaders and business insiders gather to discuss some of the most critical issues that the world is facing.
food, the energy crisis, and public health remain top of the agenda. It's also a stage for world leaders such as Chinese President Xi Jinping and U.S. President Joe Biden to meet face to face on issues between their two countries. We will continue to dive into this part of the conversation in future episodes. If you want to keep up with our discussions here on Deep Dive, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. You can also leave comments on your podcast platform about what you want to know about China and the rest of the world. This episode is brought to you by me, Suyi, and my colleagues Fei Fei, Zhang Zhang, Holly Mei, and Zheng Ruoxi. Special thanks to CGTN correspondent Dusida Saokeo. See you next time.